Okay. Good morning. Good morning. Questions, comments? Okay. I gave you the homework assignment of reading Luke and Acts together. Did anyone accomplish that and have a comment for me what it was like to read them together, back to back? Or um, a little bit of assignment? If not, that's fine. So, uh, um, okay. So, um, any other questions or comments just about... We're, we'll be wrapping it up. I'm going to do, um, spend a lot of time, because Acts is at the history of the early church. Uh, spending a lot of time in Acts today. And then next week, start with uh, just an overview of Paul's epistles. But uh, today we'll be talking about Paul's missionary journeys, and then with general epistles and Revelation. So any other questions that we haven't covered yet about the New Testament? background so that an ob- the object of all this is that you would be reading your New Testament and and growing in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ as 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 we hear in, uh, at the end of 2nd Peter chapter 3 okay no questions okay so let's talk about Luke and Acts together especially the book of Acts um, I think it's I, I'm making a big to-do of a uh, thinking of, of, of looking at Luke and Acts together. Luke has the, the, the good news of, um, of Jesus establishing his kingdom and the good news of Jesus expanding his kingdom. Okay, and we'll talk a little bit about that a little bit um, later on. And so Luke, as we said earlier, is the, is, the, is the one gospel writer who includes the ascension in his gospel. But then Acts picks up at the ascension and, um, and the ascension of our Lord, and just theologically, is, is huge. The ascension of our Lord. In the early church, there are three main church festivals. Easter, obviously. Easter is the king, and everything about uh, the whole church here about is dominated by, by Easter. The other two would be what? Pentecost, not Christmas. Not Christmas. Christmas was not one of the original festivals of the church. Ascension. Ascension. Ascension be Easter, Ascension, Pentecost be the three major festivals of the early church. Okay? And still to this day, for example, if you, I can remember being in Germany on Ascension Day and all the stores are closed. Now, not that all the people are in church, but all the stores are closed because it's a, it's, a, it's a cultural thing because Ascension, um, uh, uh, Himmelfart is, 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 the, is, the, is the German word for, for Ascension. Jesus, that's the Jesus you know. You don't know the Jesus of Christmas because he grew up. You don't know the Jesus of Good Friday because he rose from the dead. You don't know the Jesus of Easter because he ascended to the right hand of the Father where he reigns over his church and he's about to come back. Ascension's huge. Do not, though, when you think of ascension, um, think in terms of the helium balloon Jesus. You know. No, if you look especially at the text in Acts, he begins to go up and the cloud covers Jesus and he's hidden from their sight because the important point is, is that Jesus is not absent from his church he's with us always and so and so we don't have a helium balloon Jesus that might be akin in um um I'm gonna stay close to my microphone here so in in later conversations this is a huge to do between us and many other Protestants how many of you have ever heard the table prayer, Come, Lord Jesus, be our guest. Let thy gifts to us be blessed. Amen. Okay. Okay. Um, are you praying to a man or to God or both? Both. 
both. We believe that there's one Christ, true God, true man, and you can't separate them. Okay. In Protestant theology, especially those following, you know, this is a huge to do in, with, with Luther, is that Ulrich Zwingli, why can't he believe that this is the body and blood of Christ on that altar? It's because Jesus ascended to the right hand of the Father in heaven. In other words, his body went up, so he can't be present with his church right now in terms of true God and true man. And Luther basically said, no, no. Okay, a little bit exuberant right there. Um, there's only one Christ. He's true God and true man everywhere. And so therefore, he can offer us his sacrament of the altar so we get his body and his blood. Okay, so, so I'm just, I'm kind of going to theological statement about ascension. But if you read the, especially the Acts account of the ascension, you won't see, uh, especially there, you see, you see the nature of it, that he's hidden from their sight, but he's always with his church. And it's a very important point that Jesus is continuing his ministry now through his apostles whom he is sending out. An apostle is one who is sent out. As, as the um, apo and stelo, that's the, it's the Greek root word of, and they're sent out as an official am, ambassador. Okay, so Luke and Acts. Luke, chapter 1 is preparation, chapter 2 is the birth of Christ. Acts, chapter 1 is preparation, including the ascension, the promise, uh, uh, before he ascends, Jesus promises disciples, you will be my witness in Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. And then, and then the preparation, the choosing of Matthias, and then Acts 2 is the birthday of the church. And so you, you see parallels between Luke 1 and Acts 1, Luke 2, and Acts 2. Okay. In, um, in Luke, our Lord is baptized, and the Spirit descends on him, and then... Um, and then Jesus will, will begin his ministry, first with his temptation, then he preaches, but especially preaches at the synagogue in Nazareth in chapter 4. In Acts, the Pentecost, the Spirit comes down, and now the church's ministry, especially the preaching of Peter in Jerusalem, occurs in Acts chapter 2. Okay, so in Luke 4, Jesus begins his ministry by preaching in a synagogue at Nazareth, reads from the scroll of Isaiah, closes, rolls it up, and says, today this has been fulfilled in your hearing. Of course, they reject him and they want to kill him. But he is publicly proclaiming he is the fulfillment of the Old Testament scriptures. In Acts chapter 2, Peter's sermon is that Jesus is the fulfillment of the scriptures, and he ends his sermon God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Of course, these are Jewish, very faithful pilgrims. It's like the biggest uh-oh in history. You know, because they, they view themselves as devout Jews. And we killed our Messiah? Uh-oh. We're on the wrong side. And so then the answer will be, how do you get on the right side? Repent each one of you and let each one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. How do you get on the right side? It's the waters of holy baptism. And then later on, I do have one correction. Um, in, in Acts chapter 2, I want to uh, uh, alert you to something. Acts 2.41, um, if you have your own Bible. Um, no, Acts 2.40. Um, uh, I just, it's kind of a... Uh, to save yourselves from this crooked generation. 
It's not the Greek, though. It's be saved from this crooked generation. Be saved. You don't save yourself. It's be saved. Okay. And those who received his word, so the receiving of his word is not our action, but, but God's gift. And they were baptized. Okay. So, so, so our salvation is always absolute gift. And so a little correction right there. When it, you know, if you want to write it, if you have your own personal copy, it's be saved from this crooked generation. In Greek, there's something. Um, there's a passive indicator in the Greek verb, an active. So you take an active verb and put a passive indicator, so that it's a, it's a, something's done to you. And there's the passive indicator in that Greek word for, for right there. So I just wanted to point that out. Go ahead. So crooked generation. Scolios. It says where, scol- where, where scoliosis comes from is actually the Greek word right there. Scolios is uh, from this crooked generation. Yes. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. In this immediate context, it's crooked because they're not looking to Jesus. Remember, you, this Jesus whom you crucified. See, it's all messed up. If, it, if you're not seeing the Old Testament and seeing that Jesus is the fulfillment of the Old Testament, and you're a Jew, you're, it's all crooked. And, 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 and crooked is not nearly as good as straight, right? You know, it's a, um, and, and that's, 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 it's something I saw it. I did not go on it, and uh, I did in San Francisco. This famous Crooked Road. Has anyone been in San Francisco? Been on that Crooked Road? I've never. I, I saw it. But I was not on it, so I, I could see it at a distance because it's always in the slope of the hill. And whoosh, whoosh, you know, on my switchbacks, you know. But but you'd much rather go straight, and that's why, um, you know, and straight roads are much better. And that's why Isaiah will speak about make the rough places a a plain. Okay, so let's continue on here. Uh, both Luke and Acts have these travel narratives. You have, you'll see this immediately, Jesus and Paul's journeys. The exact relationship is a little bit of a, of a dispute. Um, perhaps a better way of looking at it is that, is that um, Jesus in Luke chapter 10 sends out the 72, it's rather unique in Luke, sends out the 72 to preach. And if somebody receives them, you know, stay with them. If not, then shake your dust off your feet. And that's in Luke chapter 10, verses 1 through 12. And Paul is commissioned by the church. Paul and Barnabas are sent out. And Paul is sent out by the church. That is his call from the church to preach the gospel on these missionary journeys. And then Jesus will travel um, to Jerusalem for his exodus. That's his discussion at the transfiguration. And Luke's account of the transfiguration what are he and Moses and Elijah discussing? Jesus' exodus. And what is the exodus? It's the saving of God's people. And so the saving of slavery, but also to bring them into the promised land. Jesus is going to save from sin, death, and hell by his crucifixion, and then rise from the dead and ascend to the right hand of the Father. So he's discussing his exodus. Paul will travel to Jerusalem where he will be arrested. This is foretold. But then he will travel further so that the gospel is, is, is even proclaimed in Rome and he's on trial. And it's left, we're left hanging there at the end of Acts chapter 28, whether or not Paul is released, he's still in prison, but he's still able to preach the gospel with boldness um, un, unhindered. That's how, the, that, that's how Luke's 
um, two-part gospel ends that Paul is preaching the gospel boldly unhindered as he is imprisoned in Rome. I love the symmetry between, um, between Luke and Acts. Um, our, our day school kids uh, uh, memorize, and, and perhaps you haven't memorized, uh, the, the King James in Luke chapter 2, right? And it came to pass in those days that what? Then it went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. Um, you, have, have you heard my spiel on this before? So this is, a, this is, this is huge. Can you imagine how much power? There, there is no comparison to this level of power. I mean, because think about this. There is no internet. There's no mass transportation. The Roman Empire is this huge. It goes from the, the coast of Iberia, I would say the coast of Spain and Portugal, all of the entire Mediterranean Sea, all the lands for the Mediterranean Sea are Roman territory, right? All the way up to the English Channel. They had not yet conquered the lower part of, of Britain yet. All the way up to the English Channel, the, the Greece and, the, and, and, and into, the, into the Balkans, Asia Minor, Syria, Judea, it's all Rome. And one guy in Rome says, I want money. And you have to go to your hometown and, and pay me money. That's power. I mean, just think about it. You know, in a, in a day without mass communication, we cannot compare this. So in Luke chapter 2, Caesar Augustus makes a decree that all the words be taxed. But we know who is Lord, and this is what's proclaimed, especially in the book of Acts, that Jesus is Lord. So by the time you get over to Acts chapter 28, where's the apostle Paul? He's in Rome itself proclaiming the gospel unhindered. So who's the real one with real power? But it's an unusual way how Jesus has his real power. It's the power of the word. And so we, we know what's left of the Roman Empire, nothingness. We know what's left of the Church of Jesus Christ, everything. And which kingdom is going to, and, and how does the mighty fortune that we sing today end? The kingdom, ours remaineth, stands firm forever and ever. So, so the symmetry between Luke 2 and Acts 28 is this, is this marvelous, you know, and then uh, um, this, this kind of symmetry, how Luke brings it all, all, all around. So, um, and so the kind of, and what, more specifically to the book of Acts, the programmatic verse is, you will be my witnesses. He's talking to the 11 right, right here in Jerusalem, all Judea and Samaria to the end of the earth. Okay? Um, and so, and so it's, it's very important to, to see this and see this unfolding as you get through the book of, of Acts. So now it's the gospel for all in two main thrusts. Um, primarily, the first part of the book of Acts will be is the gospel for Jew and those who are associated with the God of Israel. Okay, um, and then and then Gentile, both those uh, who are not yet full Jews in Acts chapter 10, but also starting in Acts chapter 13. The, the totally pagans, such as probably most of your ancestors, right? Uh, I don't think, I mean, there, we do have a, a, a couple members who have some Jewish background in their, their family, but for the most part, our family backgrounds, our ancestry is not just, is, is totally unrelated to, to Judaism, right? You know, and I can only imagine, um, or, or almost, 
almost saddens me, thinking that perhaps one of my relatives way, way, way back when up in Norway when these Vikings or, or maybe these Germanic tribes in northern Germany and Saxony, first time they ever saw a missionary, put a spear through the missionary. Very possible. But now the gospel goes. So if you, if you can think of geographically, Jerusalem to, to the upper part of Norway is a long ways, right? It's a long, long ways. And geographically, it's a very long ways. The gospel has gone a long ways. And so, and so the gospel to get, you know, we, 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 from early church history, we, we think that Thomas got all the way to the borders of India. We know that there were some, even some Christian churches established even in China in the, in the early days. And so there's this, the gospel spread everywhere, Africa being the home of the church. In fact, um, if you worship liturgically, you worship it in an African liturgy, right? The Lord be with you and also with you. Lift up your hearts. We lift them to the Lord. You know, this is, this is the roots of this are in Africa, right? So, uh, um, I mean, it's, it's Roman-controlled Africa, but I just wanted to speak that. So, so you got these two main thrusts, but then you have to ask the question, um, you know, what's the proclamation of the gospel? Okay, now, now both books, to an extent, are open-ended. See, the gospel of Luke ends with the, the promise of the Spirit and they're awaiting Pentecost. Yes, Jesus ascended, but it's open-ended, okay? Um, and to an extent, all the Gospels are open-ended, all four of the Gospels, because the Gospel, the Word has to go out. The ministry of Christ has to continue. And the book of Acts is open-ended, because, well, just quite simply, you don't know what happens to the Apostle Paul. He's in prison, on trial for his life. You don't know what happens, right? But also, um, you know that the gospel's got this far, and there's a lot more to, to go. The, the, the final resting point of the gospel is not just to get it to Rome, but it's to get it to the ends of the earth. Um, and so it's, it's open-ended. Okay. Um, so one thing that marks the first part of the book of Acts is the continued proclamation of, to Jews of their Messiah. But you will even see this even to the ends of Acts chapter 28. Now you see both the proclamation of the Jews and sadly, to, for the most part then, also the rejection of the Jews of their own Messiah. Okay? Um, and, so, and so the proclamation of the word and, and, and is, is not always received universally by everyone. In other words, not everyone is saved, right? Okay. Um, the Samaritans are close cousins to the Jews um, very similar, and so, and so to see the proclamation of the gospel to the Samaritans is, is important, though, because it, it brings these, these kind of cousins back together again, and that's why when the Holy Spirit descends on, on the Samaritans, it's very similar to Pentecost, to show the Jews that indeed it's the same God who's God of both Jew and Samaritan, and, and all of them, both Jew and Samaritan, are looking forward to the Messiah, and that Messiah is Jesus Christ, right? Okay, now we go on further. Um, in the ancient world, there would have been, you got Jews, you have proselytes, in other words, those who converted to Judaism, but then you have this category called a God-fearer. You see this prominently in the book of Acts, a God-fearer. In other words, this is somebody who believes in the God of Israel, but they haven't, um, if they're male, they haven't been circumcised, or they have, are not following all the dietary rituals of Judaism, okay? 
So Cornelius in Acts chapter 10, this is a breakthrough moment where Peter now sees this vision and Cornelius sees also, here's the word of the Lord that he's to receive Peter. And so Peter preaches to Cornelius and you have this uh, marvelous thing at the end of Acts chapter 10 of uh, Peter's little, little sermon and Cornelius and his family are converted. Okay, so this is a breakthrough, but Cornelius is a God-fearer Gentile. Yes, the gospel is now to the Gentiles, but the gospel is not yet to my ancestors or your ancestors. In other words, just rank pagans with no consideration of, of Yahweh of the Old Testament. Okay, so, so the breakthrough of Acts chapter 10 is a breakthrough, but it's not the complete breakthrough uh, to total pagans. Okay, so... So that, that occurs in Acts 13, verse 44. When Paul goes his first missionary journey, goes to, uh, there's two, this is always confusing, there's two Antiochs. There's the big Antioch, which is on the western shore, of, of um, just north of, um, uh, um, it'd be in modern-day Syria or, or northern Lebanon, um, that's Antioch. But there's an Antioch in Asia Minor, modern Turkey, near the coast. So, um, so Paul preaches there. His sermon in Acts chapter 13, the first part, is very similar to Peter's sermon to the Jews in Acts chapter 2. Okay? But he comes back the next week, and many Jews are rejecting him, so now he preaches to the Gentiles. And the content of his preaching shifts. It, it shifts. And so... Um, and so everything, everything uh, changes. Uh, this is an old book by CPH called The Word of the Lord Grows. Has anyone ever seen this book? Martin Franzman, Martin Franzman wrote this in um, probably the 70s. So this CPH, you still can get it. Uh, um, this wonderful little summary of the New Testament. I, I, uh, Martin Franzman, by the way, is the one who wrote Thy Strong Word, right? You know, or wrote the hymn, hymn Thy Strong Word to, to cleave the darkness. So, um, Martin Franzman writes this, but when I took an Acts in graduate school, I said, the word of the Lord grows. So I said, that's from the book of Acts, so I'll investigate that. Now, the, the funny thing is, is that occurs in Acts chapter 19, verse 20. But I looked, and that, and, but it's like these marker points in the book of Acts. I'm not going to go too much into the weeds about this. In Acts 6, 7, Acts 12, 24, it's not the word of the Lord grows, it's the word of God grew. The word of God grew, the word of God grew, the word of the Lord grows. What's going on? Why the shift from word of God to word of the Lord? And then if you look, you know, just a statistical count after this point of Acts 13:44, almost universally, you see the term is called word of the Lord, in the book of Acts, not the word of God. So what's going on here? Well, put it quite bluntly, if you're a... So a Jew or a God-fearer who knows the Old Testament, what do you need to know about Jesus? What do you need to know about Jesus? That he's your Messiah, right? He's the promised one. And you get that from the word of God. God, referring to the Father, who gives the word of the Old Testament. Now, if you're a total pagan, not ever heard of the Old Testament, do you really care... That this Jesus is the fulfillment of Isaiah chapter 7. No, 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 no. That's not where you start. But you start proclaiming that there's one God and he has raised his son, Jesus, from the dead. 
So the proclamation is Jesus Christ crucified and risen, especially the prominence of the resurrection of the body in Jesus Christ. So your proclamation is going to be a different proclamation. It's going to start with Jesus crucified and risen. And so it's the word of the Lord. Lord being code word. By the way, when you read your New Testament, almost universally, it's not complete, almost universally in the New Testament, it's a, when I say almost universally, you can probably find, you know, there's a, there's a few examples on both sides. When it says God in the, Old, in the New Testament, God refers to God the Father. And when you see the word Lord, it refers to Jesus, Jesus Christ. Okay, grace to you and peace from God our Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. All begins almost every epistle that way, right? And so, so you see the interplay of the Trinity with, with God and Lord right here. So, so the word of God is, is the word of, of, of the Father who has sent his Son, and this Son is Jesus Christ, and he is your Messiah. The word of the Lord is, I proclaim to you Christ, and he is the Son of God, and he's crucified for sins, and he's risen from the dead, and he's broken through all, all of uh, the, the bands of death for you. Now, interestingly, where Paul especially goes to the Corinthians, he proclaims the word of the Lord, but once some are converted, now he teaches them, the Greek is interesting, he teaches them the word of God, because they need to know the Old Testament and be firm in the faith. Okay, so, 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 so we too need the Old Testament. First thing I just talked about in this Bible class, background of the New Testament, so that you know the New Testament better and can read it better, you need to know what? You need to know the Old Testament. You need to back of your hand. Okay. Um, and, and so, I mean, like, like this, this, this wonderful confession. My father's a wandering Aramean from, from Deuteronomy 26. This is a huge to-do. The Aramean, they taught me Jacob, right? Okay, so, so um, and so just read that. And then what happened, how God rescued them. And so this marvelous passage from Deuteronomy chapter 26. Okay, so, so now Paul has three missionary journeys. And this is the expansion of the word of the Lord. So now the book of Acts is going to take an entirely different character. In fact, the church is going to be an entirely different character. Now, because the priest is the Gentiles, so the question will be, well, praise God to all these Gentiles, what do we do with them? And there were certain that said, well, we need to make sure that, that they're following the Old Testament. Right? Circumcision, dietary laws, stuff like this. But that's why they have the Council of Jerusalem, Acts chapter 15. And by the way, who's leading the Council of Jerusalem is James, the brother of our Lord, half-brother of our Lord. Because the other James, Peter, James, and John, is dead, Acts chapter 12. Stephen is martyred in Acts 7. James is martyred in Acts chapter 12. Okay, so, so James is leading the church of Jerusalem, no longer Peter. It's James. Okay, and now... No, they're free. They just, you know, uh, don't commit immorality and, and, don't, and don't drink blood. You know, essentially, um, you know, Acts chapter 15. Okay, so, so now the gospel go forth and you're not tied to the Old Testament ceremonial law. Okay, and this is why we can have rib fest, right? Okay, so, okay, so that's, that's, what's going, that's what's going on. So Paul's these three missionary journeys. First one to Asia Minor to break through the gospel. Then has to come back, have to sort all this out. Um, the book of Galatians comes out of this first missionary journey. Galatians is dated very early. Um, and it's uh, very important. Okay. Um, and then um, second missionary journey will be going where Macedonian call. And Paul goes into Europe. 
do not think at all where Paul is going when he goes to Macedonia that this is so-called Western civilization. You know, no. The hinterlands of, of Europe is, is, is the hinterlands everywhere. It's all primitive and everything like that. So it's very important. Don't think of Europe as being Europe, but Europe is just part of the, the ancient world. And it was part of the Roman Empire, so that civilizing factor was there. But the Romans are bringing the civilization, not the Europeans. Okay? So, so now second missionary journey goes into Europe. The gospel goes that, that way. And third missionary journey is going to recapping. Then Paul will go back to Jerusalem. So, so now I'm going to spend some time talking to you. What's the religious? And this is kind of helpful because Paul has to preach to a pagan world now. But what exactly does that mean? Okay? Um, our world, to an extent, is pagan also, correct? But what does that mean? When I say pagan, without Christ, or without word, but there's a lot of different ways of doing that. So, so I'm going to speak briefly about the religious background of the Gentile pagan world that Paul is preaching at. With the caveat that it is very different in different places and it's not just all one thing. There was one characteristic of this is devoid of the word of God. And this is a characteristic of our age too. It's reading, um, heard, I heard a speaker about, uh, well, before COVID um, at, at a conference, and this is not a Lutheran conference, but it's kind of a pan-Christian conference, where the speaker, she had, she had one time um, been, been our religious, you know, um, she, was, she grew up in the northeast part of the United States in a relatively affluent, went to Ivy League, Harvard, Yale, and she remembered in high school that they studied about Lutherans. Okay, and she's not a Lutheran, but she just is in her writing. She talking about Lutherans, and, and some of you class raised, and says, you know, it's this, it, and raises and says, are, are there any of these around in the world? You know, in other words, is this just a historical thing that somebody would actually gather and follow the catechism stuff like this, okay? In other words, that, that and that's pretty much the high school that she went to, her college background, is, is there such a thing as practicing Christianity anymore? Okay, so that's, that's one aspect of our world, right? You know, versus other, um, so we have large swaths of our population now who are completely ignorant of God's word. And, and they really have no clue what, what the Bible teaches, what morality is, and stuff like this. They, they, it's just completely whitewashed in this problem. You know, it's, it's a problem of our society, also a problem of uh, what happened uh, uh, when, when you, so-called uh, modern education that came into, and that was popular, and, and probably all of us were raised in this. Um, you know, um, John Dewey, who, who, who is the, who um, really is the father of American education, is also one of the authors of the Humanist Manifesto, which is directly directed to take away God from, from children, I mean, and so they've done a good job. I mean, mo almost any textbook, you know, hardly any mention of God. I mean, it says, you know, why do people come to this country for freedom? Well, in the most part, they came for religious freedom, didn't they? And so we just could talk on and on and on, and we've ripped the Bible even as, as, a, as, a, as a literature piece from our culture. Um, and so that's pretty much happened in our world. Okay, um, one other thing in the ancient world, this idea of secular versus sacred, gone. I mean, they, they are, you know, whether it's not believing in gods or goddesses, but they're intensely believing in a spiritual world. 
So this idea of sacred, secular is just, just gone, okay? Um, almost all commerce, and this is why in 1 Corinthians, you know, they, they, even if they don't believe it, they, the, the meat sold in the marketplace are sacrificed to gods before it's being sold in public. So, so there is this, there's this intertangling of commerce and religion um, all over the place. Now, whether or not people believe in gods and goddesses anymore, that's a whole nother question. Um, and so, the, now, but one thing also that's true in the ancient world is there's no concept of a single loving creator in ancient religion. Even those, you know, stoic philosophers who would believe in a so-called one power over everything would not have a loving God, so much so that that one power has nothing to do with the physical world and only emanations from that one power bring about a so-called physical world because that one power, this one principle above everything, stoicism, has nothing to do with the actual created world. So the idea of a loving creator is absent in ancient religion all over the place. And it's very, and that's universally, no matter what the religion was. Okay, um, morality and religion are not united. We see this even in the Old Testament. Baal worship was the, what was the central focus of Baal worship? Was sacred prostitution. Because you've got to make sure that Baal and Asherah get the idea to so give us rainfall, so they got to watch you with the, with, the, with the temple prostitute, right? And, um, and so, and, and so look, at, look at Zeus, you know. How many, if you remember ancient mythology, how many children did he father by some earthly woman? You know, you see this all, all over the place. It was Zeus. Uh, and so tying morality and religion together, this is, the, what are you talking about? And so we see in our own day and age where people can be very immoral, but they are quote-unquote spiritual, right? I'm spiritual. Um, and then you, but is it carry over morality? No, no, not, not really. Okay. Um, ancient polytheism, I just mentioned Zeus worship, could still be intact. There were actual true Zeus worshipers. Paul comes in, does a miracle, and he is called Hermes, and Silas is called Zeus. So we see that, that ancient polytheism could be actually still there, but, but it kind of lost, it's lost its magic. Um, we were talking about this Bible class yesterday in the, in the men's Bible breakfast. How many of you have ever seen the, ancient, the, the old movie? It's not ancient. Uh, Spartacus with Kirk Douglas. Anyone ever seen that movie? It's just a great, great movie. And so there's one scene where Gracchus and Julius Caesar, they're, uh, they, uh, um, they said, and they're going to go you know, cut open their chicken and see what the entrails say, you know. And Gracchus probably says, you know, publicly I believe in the God, privately I don't. You know, I mean, a cynical view. And this, this leads into, in the Roman Empire, then the entrance into the cult of the Caesar. The cult of the Caesars. The Caesar worship would have been huge, and this really plays into the book of Revelation, but also there's got this passage, because Corinth, Corinth was a Roman colony. And so in 1 Corinthians 12, 3, um, Paul says, no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Okay, um, so we understand that also means Jesus is Yahweh, but in the culture of the Roman culture, they would say Caesar is Lord. And so, no, we have a new Lord. It's called Jesus Christ, and that plays into it. So um, gods and goddesses aren't moral. There would have been creeping in, especially from the East, certain mystery religions like Mithraism, um, you know, forms of Egyptian, kind of um, Osiris and, and Isis, um, and so you have these mystery religions where they 
have everything shrouded in mystery. Um, and some people have attempted to say Christianity is an offshoot of that, but no, because Christianity, our faith, is not rooted in mystery religions, but it's rooted in the Old Testament. This is hugely important. So if you ever see that, don't believe it for a second. Um, we already talked about the Greek idea of a transcendent, it's not a creator. There's philosophical schools. The Greeks love their philosophy, right? And so, uh, um, and so Paul in Acts chapter 17 preaches the Areopagus, and he sees, you know, your deep religions, you even have a, uh, have, a, have a marker for the unknown God, right? Well, let me late make you known from him. And by the way, he's the true God, and all your other gods are false, and he's raised his son, Jesus Christ, from the dead. And that's, um, so, so philosophy would have been huge. And, and Greek philosophy is, 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 is very, very big. And this idea that the material world is not good, but the spiritual world is. This is a hugely Greek concept. And it carries over even to our own day and age. You know, uh, the Snickers commercial, you're going up to quote unquote heaven, and is heaven a, a, a corporal place, a, a real place? It's like in the clouds, right? This idea of, of heaven being in the clouds and everything, this eternal life being floating, that, that you and me are going to be floating, you know, and maybe we'll have our own angel wings. Of course, this is a whole other thing. Where did this come from? You know, but this idea that, that eternal life is separated from the body and, and it's uh, and just a spiritual existence, it's, it's kind of a Greek concept. It's not a biblical concept at all. Certainly not an Old Testament concept. If you ground them in the Old Testament, you know that God created the heavens and the earth, formed Adam from the dust and breathed life into him, and formed Eve from his rib, and so she also is a physical creation from Adam's very rib. And so eternal life is going to be manifestly physical in the new heavens and the new earth. So the idea that, that, that eternal life is just, uh, is just you know, kind of without a body, the Greek idea is pagan. It's not Christian at all. Because okay? the physical world is a, is a good thing. Is a good thing. The physical world is a good thing because God created everything. And what does Genesis 1.31 say? When God saw everything that he made, and behold, it was what? Good. Not just good, but it was very good. Told the old. It's very good. All the creation is very good. So the physical world is very good as God created. Then it's corrupted. So God is desiring to bring about a new heaven and a new earth so that we will be with him forever. And so the created body is a good thing. Jesus never gives up his body. His body is raised from the dead. And so this is hugely important. So this, so this idea, and so we can see this, this, this you know, uh, physical versus spiritual is not a biblical concept. Jesus does real miracles. He heals people physically, not to create a heaven here on earth. It's not just like um, Pastor was saying this last week that that you know you know drive through and Jesus bop 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 you know like a, you know Jesus just everyone's free from every disease and there's the life expectancy goes and in, in, in the Holy Land at that time from uh, from 32 now everyone's living to 150 right? No no that's not what Jesus is meaning, but he is indicating an actual true physical existence for all of eternity where there's no more blindness, there's no more deafness, there's no more being mute, there's no more being lame, there's no more having, you know, infirmities with back, no more uh, this woman with the, the issue of blood, and no more death. 
who raises Lazarus from the dead, been in the tomb four days, but also widow of Nain's son and, and Jairus' daughter. Okay, so, um, so and, then, and then one last thing is that, um, um, generally speaking, there's not this overarching view of a positive eternity. It's muddled at best, especially if you look at the ancient mythologies. You know, you're crossing the river Styx, right? And it's in the shades and, and everything like this. Versus the Christian concept of being resurrected, the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting, which is intensely positive and grounded in a good creator, making a good heavens and new earth, and he's redeemed this creation through the blood of his son, Jesus Christ. Okay? And this is, uh, this is what's going on here. Okay, so, talked a lot about pagan religion in the, old, in the New Testament era, but it's just like, it's very hard, you know, different communities, you have different challenges in Paul's different communities all the way from, from rank polytheism, like I told, told you, they, you know, Paul, you must be Hermes, and, and Silas must be Zeus, okay? Um, to um, philosophical schools, you have problems, and you know, the deceptive philosophy in, in Colossians, you have various churches, the seven churches, now this isn't Paul, but it's various seven churches in, in Asia Minor having difficulties, the book of Revelation, so, so there's constant challenges, just like in our age, the, the, we live in a very, very pagan day and age, but that paganism can all the way be from, that, from the world of academia, where everyone thinks, oh, I'm too smart to have God, you know, to, uh, to just the rank, you know, um, uh, you know, the, just people just sleeping around with, with anything that moves, to, to a drug culture, to, to, uh, to all sorts of things, you know, you just travel this country, you further west you go, you discover, you know, almost no one knows about, about God because the church is never strong in the West, right? You know, I mean, um, Wyoming was not settled by a bunch of pious people. You know, Montana wasn't settled by a bunch of pious people. There were some pious people there, but not the, the American West was not pious at all. I mean, that's why it's so violent. So, so, so the challenges of being a Christian will always be there. And I think the book of Acts is quite helpful in Paul's epistles as we get into it next week. Questions, comments? We've got a couple minutes here before I talk about the relation of Peter and Paul in the book of Acts. Okay. And I'm woefully behind. I, I hope I, this was not meant to be a Bible study in the book of Acts today. This is just a, but it's a, but it's a very, I think it's a very helpful book. Um, and, and, and I think Luke Acts together is very helpful. So any questions, comments? Okay. Peter and Paul. Okay. They're parallel as, as, now, Peter and Paul, the first half of the book of Acts is dominated by Peter, the second half by the Apostle Paul. They're both apostles. They both preach Christ risen and cruci crucified and risen. They both work miracles by the power of the Lord. And, and there's, if, if you do a, almost a statistical analysis, there's almost one-to-one -one correspondence. And also the type of the miracles. For example, um, Peter raises Dorcas from the dead. And Paul raises Eutychus from the dead, right? You know, and Eutychus is kind of interesting because he's, uh, he's sleeping during the sermon. He falls out of the window, hits his head, dies. You know, don't sleep during the sermon, right? So it's, it's a, okay, okay. Or, or is it that Paul is preaching long? Is that the problem? So that's another question. But, but you see these parallel miracles. And this is very important. The Old Testament idea would be the, the, the parallelism between Elijah and Elisha. You do a comparison, a study of Elijah and Elisha, you see the intense parallelism of their two ministries also. Okay, they parallel in suffering. 
Peter's arrest, Peter's beaten, Paul's arrest, Paul's beaten. Okay, they're distinct in mission. Peter does not, is not seeing the book of Acts as going to the true Gentile. Now, now, the parallel is Peter does go to Cornelius, yes. But Paul extends that in Acts chapter 13 in his missionary journeys. And Paul now goes really to the, is, is starting to go to the ends of the earth, ends up in, in Rome. Uh, Paul preaches to complete gen, Gentiles. And we see the, that we see the conversion of, of, of Saul in Acts chapter chapter 9, but then starting, especially in Acts chapter 13, this really is the story of Paul, his missionary journey, and then going to Jerusalem, his trial, and then going all the way to Rome as the book concludes. Okay. I talked earlier about the, this word of God and word of the Lord. Um, I, I think it's, it's, it's important, you know, and part of the thing, you know, this is something I worked on, is, is then... To know your context and to bring God's word in Christ Jesus to different people where they are at is a difficult thing. Difficult thing. There is no such thing as a paper cutter presentation of the gospel because people aren't paper cutter people. I'm not going to say that quickly. Okay. Um, it's, it's very important to see that, that individuals in their cultural background the church has to proclaim faithfully Jesus Christ, him crucified, him risen, Trinitarian, you know, be clear on the word and sacrament. But where our starting point is how we approach people is very, very different. This is, this is hugely important to, to, to get the message, to get the message right so that people can comprehend what you're talking about with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so word of God to, to a Jewish audience, word of the Lord to, to a very strictly Gentile audience, and centered around Jesus Christ, both of them. Okay, um, have a little bit of an outline. If you notice my outline, I, I do this distinction between word of God, the first half, and then it's the word of the Lord proclaimed because now it's going out to the Gentiles. And, and so Gentiles now also included the very nature of the church has changed because now we're seeing many, many more Gentiles being in the church of Jesus Christ than just this first Jewish Christian church in Acts chapter 2. Okay, I think I have to go set up for the Lord's Supper for the next service. Um, 